Warning. What you're about to hear is born of long years of deep friendship, shared experience, brutal honesty, and the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Please do not walk up to the first black or white person you know and start this sort of banter. It will not end well. Glad to be with you again, Robin, and want to get just a little update on what you've been doing. Know that your book is coming out soon. So since we've last spoken, I guess it was about a year ago now, what what has been going on in the world of Robin D'Angelo? What has been going on in the world? Um, I may have had a part-time job, but I am full-time traveling and writing, presenting, speaking. Um, and that article that I wrote a few years back, White Fragility, just resonated so deeply with so many people that I've turned it into a full-length book. And that comes out uh, in June with a foreword by Michael Eric Dyson. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, he's such a wordsmith. I love how he, you know, he, maybe he should have been oh. a hip hop artist, you know, because the way that he weaves words together. Uh- <laughs> and he's wonderful. Actually, I was like, don't make your forward better than my book, okay? <laughs> um, but I suspect it may be. We don't want he, you to be fragile about that. We don't. <laughs> no, right? He's hilarious. He's like, there's a new racial sheriff in town. You know, kick your crutches to the to the side. Robin DeAngelo's going to call you in. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. Oh, man, that's a beautiful thing. So now I know around the last time we spoke, you said that you were doing your first overture into the church, going to speak to, I think, the Lutherans. You did a conference for them. Tell us about that. How did that go, placing the ideas of white fragility in the religious context as you begin to shake your head? (laughs) Already shaking her head right there. Well, if we went out to happy hour and you said, tell me your most harrowing story doing these presentations, I would tell you about that convention. Oh, man. Uh, So the first thing is that I was in front of about 1,500 kind of ministers. Okay. um, And I was on a jumbotron, and I was pretty sure nothing's going to happen here, but I'll tell you where it's going to happen. It's going to be at the workshop that follows this keynote. And sure enough, the room just filled with people, right? All standing room only. And I was about three minutes in, and I heard some shouting. Uh, and uh, lots of amens, and and uh, the shouting was scripture. Somebody was shouting uh, a, a white male uh, scripture at me. Oh wow! Oh bless us, Lord, so, and forgive us. Oh, Jesus says, you know, uh, you know, John seven nine. I don't, you know, something right, like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> something like you know, all we're all equal, and then literally shouted at me. Are you saying Jesus was wrong? Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, right. I'm up here. I can't tell you So the exact words that came out of my mouth, really. Well, no wonder it's a book now. He just kept screaming at me, are you saying Jesus is wrong? And of course I, I think I actually went like this, ha you know, ha She's like, uh no. Um So of course that example has everybody. to be in the book, right? That example because that's not like yeah. a tale of that's like the Taylor case for white fragility, right? That's, oh, wow, right. The room's erupting with, you know, all the hear ye, hear ye, right? And, you know, I, I'm, I'm having lots of thoughts in my mind, which is like, well, I guess it depends on who's interpreting you. You know, I, I'm having these thoughts. But what I say is, 
Okay, everybody breathe. Just like slow it way down. I made them pause. Mm -hmm. And then I said, no, Jesus wasn't wrong. Um, but we don't live on the spiritual plane. We live in the physical plane in the here and now. And if we want to usher in the society and the community that Jesus came to proclaim, we have to address inequality here on the physical plane. Right. Uh, and a lot of people have said, how did you know to say that? And it, for me, it was just a, an amplified version of colorblindness. We all, you know, we all bleed red. We're all human. Um, and so it went on like that. But there's one more piece of this story, right? I mean, it was it was intense trying to control this crowd. <laughs> and that's and, when the fight you know, started. Then, then the, <laughs> the, few got up and the whole room was really hard to keep together. And then at the very end, there were, you know, everybody had their hand up, and I could hardly get through what I was trying to get through. And this white, older white man had had his hand up for a while in the front, and we had like two minutes to go. If you've ever given a talk, you know the bomb is always thrown in the last two minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That Never enough time to, add, to respond <laughs> appropriately. <laughs> I foolishly say, uh, well, would you like to have the last word? Oh, now, yes, he would. Don't ask me why I offered the last word to the white man, but I did, you know, because I, I kept noticing him with his hand up, and he said, of course he says, yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> he stands up, and he says, may I lead us in prayer? And everybody's like, yes, yes. Okay. And yeah, everybody's got their head down, and he says, dear God, thank you for bringing this fierce women, woman to us to bring your message that oh. we need to hear. Thank you, Lord, for Robin D'Angelo. You keep speaking truth to power. And, and I'm standing oh, wow. there going, does this happen? Oh, wow. He is asking this entire room. He's making them pray, thanking God for my message. Oh, man. Amen. Hey, won't the spirit work? <laughs> Amen. I couldn't. Uh, so when it was over, I just, as soon as he finished his prayer, I said, and on that note, we end. Thank you very much. <laughs> Ran the hell to the taxi that was waiting to take me to the airport. Oh. Well, I actually went up to him afterwards, and I, I just said, can I give you a hug? And he grabbed me by the, you know, in a loving way. He Big grabbed me hug. by the waist, and he said, he said, you're the smartest woman to walk in this room in 25 years. You keep speaking truth. Amen. Amen. I, so there Amen. you go. Hey. Wow. hey, see, wow. so, so, so the, the, the culminating message is once you face your fragility, people, you can be redeemed and experience this transformational engagement where you are revved up and ready to go. But it, the, the, the question I, I, then becomes on facing yeah. that fragility, right? Because you and I were talking, Robin, as we were as, as we were working on getting things together for the show and and as you know i kind of had a hiatus a little gap in the in the communications because had to deal with some some white fragility in in the halls of power in the episcopal church you know um and are we we did whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold, hold on hold on hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh. i'm confused i'm confused white fragility in the halls of of our own Blessed holy institution. Well, yes, that would be that are, would be. Did correct. I hear? I thought maybe I heard you wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. I am talking about our 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 beloved Episcopal Church, and 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 the reason, I, as I say, beloved, it triggers me, right? Because w when you talked about if we are supposed to um, bring about 
what we proclaim on the spiritual plane, it has to take place in the, in the physical realm, right? That's 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 yep. the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we say in the Episcopal Church in terms of becoming yep. beloved community, right? Um, that we are becoming this beloved community and how white fragility gets in the way of that. And um, it's especially troubling for me around white allies. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because I just want to get your take on, on how you see this and, and, and what to do in response. Because um, here it is, you, you, you have someone who's in power, um, white person in power, and they misstep, as people will do. You know, as I tell people all the time, we are learning to dance this dance, right? And as anyone learns to dance, when you go to waltz, when you go to tango, whatever, you're going to step on toes. But because we yep. decided that we're going to dance, we don't use that as an opportunity to, like, shame ourselves or shame each other because we stepped on each other's toes. But we have to also acknowledge that we have stepped on some toes. So here's somebody in power doing this dance, missteps, steps on some toes. Um and decided that she was going to take liberty by saying nigger. And I tell people, I, I say it because, I like we talked about in our last showcase, that word is powerfully troubling, you know? And so I drop it in there purposefully so that people have to cringe at hearing it or wondering why I say it and so on and so forth. But she, white woman, missteps and thinks that she can say it and takes liberties to say it because she's quote unquote quoting somebody in a story. Um, and then, you know, there's people who say it's a problem. There's people who say it's not a problem. She finds black folks who say it's not a problem, but there's still black folks who say that it is a problem. And instead of just fulsome, humbly bearing herself and taking ownership for misstepping, you know, there's the fragility, the defensiveness, the things of that nature, um, the I don't need to apologize beyond. I apologize before to the people that were in the room. I don't need to, to speak from my position of power and say anything further. So how do you and if there's more questions, because I could go on for forever and I don't want to go on for forever. Right. But, you know, how do you respond to instances like that? And what, what do you see in that? How do you respond to that as an intellectual on this topic? Um, yeah. Well, so the first thing is that I try to figure out how all of that is functioning, right? I try to understand what is driving that reaction. So before I even go to how do I interrupt it, I, I think it really behooves us to understand how it works. Why is she responding that way? What are the fundamental assumptions she's making? What is the paradigm she's operating from that would allow her to respond that way? And then what's problematic about it? Because if I can map that out, then I know what to speak to. And so the first thing, it's just this overarching, it's so liberating to start from the presumption that, of course, as a white person, I have been thoroughly conditioned into a racist worldview. It, it, uh, Ibram Kende uses the analogy, is it, it's raining down on us, mm -hmm. white supremacy and its messages, and we don't have umbrellas. Of course, I am wet. So um, once I start there, I inevitably have a racist worldview, racist assumptions. I've developed racist patterns. And, uh, and quite honestly, I'm invested in, in not only racism because it serves me so well and is so comfortable. I'm also invested in not seeing any of this. 
because it challenges my identity as a good person and it will require something of me, right? Mm-hmm. And once you start there, it's so liberating. It's like I don't have to defend and deflect and deny and all the st- moves this woman made in order to push away any um, any question to her entitlement to say whatever she wants to say. And, you know, if, you, if, it, if it lands on you problematically, then you figure it out because I get to do what I get to do, mm-hmm. right? When it, It's actually really transformative. I can stop deflecting and then start trying to figure out, well, how is it coming out in my life? All this conditioning is indeed coming out in my life. There's no way it couldn't be. If you hung around me long enough, <laughs> you'd be noticing all the way, right? It seeps out of our yeah. pores. Yeah. Mm. And, and don't we want to know how it's seeping out of our pores so we can stop it? So that's the first thing, that, the kind of framework we need to start from. The other thing I noticed in her is a classic um, – Equal equals equity. In other words, if you get to say it, then I get to say it. If we all get the same, then everything is fair. And in fact, it doesn't account for power. Um, And that you may get to have things that I don't get to have until we usher in that beloved community. And we're not there yet. And so you have to be willing to say, oh, I might get a little less of the pie and you might get a little more because you're starting with less than I'm starting from. Yeah. And then, in fact, that is that is fair and equal. So she's kind of got this, if you say it, I get to say it, with no account for her her position racially and the difference in impact, mm-hmm. right? Um, and maybe the last piece that I thought of is, I, I will never be free of my conditioning. And I, I, I know that Case absolutely understands. <laughs> what conditioning? And what do you mean? so receptive to feedback on how his unaware racism is manifesting. And that's why you love him. Um, Amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, I, I continue to run my racism. I'm not going to be free. It's a journey, not a destination, right? Right, right. What's different mm. is I do, I do do it less, right? I look back over things I said and did, and I cringe, oh, yeah. right? I do it less. I'm actually able to notice it myself more instead of depending on you to have to take the risk to tell me. Mm-hmm. I don't get defensive, <laughs> and I have really, really good repair skills. <laughs> um, repair skills are what build trust. I don't believe... Um, that you expect me not to have racist patterns and assumptions, but I think what I've heard is that you, what you want to see is where are we going to go when those things come out. Right. Right. Can you talk to me about it? Will I receive that, that with grace? Right. Will I try to change the behavior? Will I seek to heal? We'll have a deeper relationship, even Amen. though I ran my racism at you. Amen. And I wish white understood that Amen. we're just so afraid you're gonna give up on me so i'll be as careful as i can and and in fact i'll have an inauthentic relationship with you i like you that piece because that, that that's the nail yeah. on the head right there like yeah. you know when when okay when we take the risk as people of color and tell you about your racism um you can either get defensive and attack and deflect and so on and so forth which just reinforces our narrative and now we we are upset for having taken the risk or you can receive it with grace, like you said, and 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 with humility and make repair and things of yeah. that nature. And then we have a, a deeper relationship. And isn't that yes. isn't that what we're supposed to be after, especially as people Seems of faith? Seems pretty simple. Um, 
Yeah, it's it just seems really simple because if you give it if you give me that feedback the first time and I don't respond well, you're probably not ever going to give me that feedback again, and there will be a wall there, and I'll think, oh, we're doing fine, but that's because I've conveyed to you that I can't hear it or that I can't hold it, um, and. I think that white fragility functions as a kind of racial bullying, quite frankly. Mm. We make it so miserable for people of color to tell us and give us that feedback. I mean, I often kind of facetiously ask people of color, how often have you given white people feedback on our inevitable but often unaware racism and had that go well for you? <laughs> uh, right and that's right? the answer that's the response i get like oh uh, uh yeah so you know how much of it do you just take home because it's not worth it mm -hmm. because it's probably going to get worse because i'm going to actually punish you even more for giving me that i'm going to burst into tears and cry and you know you're going to have attacked me and i'm going to start withdrawing from you and so white fragility is incredibly powerful form of white racial control and and I actually don't care what's driving it. I don't care how sincere it is. The question that white people have to ask themselves is how does it function? Hmm. And it functions to punish people of color for trying to talk to us, right? I just saw a beautiful quote, like white privilege is um, not being aware of how you're hurting people of color and refusing to um, find out about how you're hmm. hurting people. <laughs> right and to, to that what that says there is that you don't care you know what i mean if if, if 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 you refuse to find out how we're being hurt then what you're also saying is you don't care you don't want to be in relationship with me yeah in mm. the good bad binary is is you know i call the good bad binary right is another uh, one of those and i actually have an image of a pier or a dock and and there's these pillars that hold the dock up it looks like it's floating on the water but it's not right and what are those those anchors that keep keep racism going even though at the top of the dock is all the saints i treat everybody the same i i have people color my family all that stuff on the surface hasn't changed our outcomes mm -hmm. right how, how's that right. how how is it that most white people think i'm absolutely against racism but racism's getting worse quite frankly right, right. and one of those key linchpins is um only only bad people who are intend to hurt others on race and know that they're doing it could be racist. And as long as that's our definition, we beautifully protect racism. Right. Um, because, of course, you're going to offend me if you suggest I did something racist because you've just suggested I'm an immoral person who meant to hurt you. Right. And right. I'm going to have to now defend my character. Right. So it's just a – it looks progressive, right? Racists are bad. But how does it function? Protect racism beautifully. Right. Mm. So that, that was but, in there too. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I was just, you know, the, the echoes <laughs> in our own tradition around the idea of practical theology, right? That how does it function, right? Um, yeah. It's is just that the, the importance of, of using that um, almost as a lens. And I wonder if, if, if that's a lens for, for those of us who are still trying to figure out and recognize our fragility and recognize our privilege, if using that maybe as an entry point, or if you recommend some other entry points for, you know, how do, how do I identify and recognize my fragility? Um, yeah, I, I have all these things that I say I believe, right? I have all these things that, that I say, 
about, well, I treat people all the same and I don't see color, you know, all of whatever it is. I have these things that I say, but how are they functioning in the world? How am I functioning in the world? Seems like it might be a helpful entry or is, are there other entry points for how to ID and recognize that? Yeah. So, so I had two thoughts and one is that kind of like, I, I'm sure that I'm not racist. I'm sure. And, and my question back would just be, how do you know? Like, how, why are we so confident? Mm. <laughs> how do we know? Yeah, prove it. Like, yeah, who are we accountable to? You see, y'all can time? ask a white person that question. Right? <laughs> if I, mean, I ask I, a I white live, person that question. <laughs> let's imagine I live in the suburbs. I don't know people of color. I never talk about racism. Why am I so confident that I have no racist thoughts, ideas, right. or patterns? Right. right? Um, the other one, again, that that question, how does it function, has never failed me. Every piece that I've had the deepest aha about has come from asking how it functions. So I, I often share this story. I grew up in poverty, right, and um, pretty abject poverty, homelessness, foster care. Um, I'm in academia now. I feel intimidated in academia. Um, when racism comes up, even though I see it because it's my area of of focus, um, I have been quiet about it because I feel intimidated by how smart everybody else is, and they're going to mm. throw research at me, and I'm I'm not going to be able to defend myself verbally. So my silence in that room is coming from a place of inferiority, not superiority. Right? I'm feeling inferior mm -hmm. intellectually because I grew up poor. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when I've stepped out of myself and said, "So how is your silence functioning in this room?" When when you notice racism, it's like. Oh my God, it's functioning to not only protect and collude with racism, but I will be seen as a team player. Mm. I will actually benefit and get ahead. Oh. By my uh, and so uh, that's not acceptable to me. And, and so what's so powerful about pushing through the silence once I realize you're right now colluding with somebody else's oppression um, is the my sense of inferiority intellectually because I grew up poor is a lie, right? That's, right. that's the lie of classism. Um, and when I push through that lie and speak, I'm healing my own kind of internalized oppression while using my privileged position. So for, it's just such a powerful way to center race for me is a powerful way to address all intersections. Right. Um, so again, mm. I, I, how did I come to that awareness? I asked myself, how's your silence functioning right now? It doesn't matter what's driving it, right? right? How are your tears functioning right now, right? And that leads me to something I really want to talk about, which is shame. Whenever any narrative that white people jump to really quickly and easily for me is suspect, right? If that's easy for us, uh, we better question it because there's a reason that's easy for us, while another narrative wouldn't be. And shame is a real easy one that white people like to go to. And I was working with a group recently of white people, and I, I had them pair up and answer this question. How often do you actually feel shame in relation to racism? Hmm. Seriously. Hmm. The range would be between one and five percent quite frank come on white people don't walk around feeling shame right take me to a gentrifying neighborhood and i'll pass by a black person and for a moment i'll feel a little bit shameful a little split about second. it's gone and then i'm gonna go over to the whole foods and so excited <laughs> that there's finally a whole foods in this neighborhood right i love it right. Yay, it's 
and so it's like, first of all, I call bullshit on this shame, shame. You know, maybe guilt. But why don't we say guilt? Why do we say shame? Well, shame is more precious. Mm -hmm. No one should feel shame. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you invoke it, you begin to get people that want to coddle your shame and help you with your shame and give you resources again. Um, But why don't we own the fact of how seldom we feel shame instead of amplifying those rare moments in which we do? Hmm. Hmm. Right. Right? So again... How does my shame function? Okay, so if that's what I want to go on and on about of how shameful this workshop's making me feel, um, then then how does it function? What do I do when I feel shame? Right. Well, I wither and withdraw and I get small and I don't talk. How does that function in a conversation about racism? Let me ask you, Jabriel, what's that like for you when I'm all, oh, I feel really bad and I'm small and careful and I, I, with, I actually get this idea of withering back in shame because you just shared... Uh, a heartfelt story how yeah. does that land on when white people do that is that, that like, looking good do we look good to you no you know it's like shut down you know it's like okay i remember i had that experience in seminary case and i talked about this you know i had this experience in seminary in my homiletics class where some people said some i mean the, the whole experience was traumatic you know like i was the black voice in homiletics class whenever because we ha- i had a classmate who had who was doing his field ed in a, in a black parish. And every time they wanted to analyze something, the professor would turn to me. So, so Jabril, what do you think? Like, I'm supposed to be the black voice, right? But then near the end of the class, when I had had enough of all of it, right, and, and, and they said something incredibly offensive, right, about that essentially challenged the identity of blackness, that nothing good could come out of black people because this, this, this music is corrupt, you know, so you, wow. we can redeem, essentially, we can redeem rock and roll. We can make any rock and roll song be praiseworthy, but then we have this horrendous rap music and no one can make that praiseworthy. And so, you know, it was interesting because one of our classmates looked at me like when that was said, he looked at me like, oh, my God, I can't believe that was just said. But I didn't say anything. And the teacher asks me. Jabril, what, what do you have to say? And I was like, you really don't want to hear. That was exactly what I said. You really don't want to hear what I have to say. And she breaks down crying. And so now I'm like, oh, shit. I just made a white woman cry. I'm going to be Emmett Tilled out here because, yep. oh, my God, my life is on the line. Because, heaven forbid, I, the big black man, make the white woman cry. I better start speaking. You know, let me, let me protect myself. And so <clears throat> what happened in the room when she started to cry? People started tending to her. Everybody was like, oh, yeah. you know, I can't believe she's crying. And, and, you know, everybody, you know, so now here I am. I didn't even do anything. So <laughs> I now declined to the speak. Original, <laughs> the original racist incident that you're responding to is completely forgotten. Uh-huh. And all about whether you mistreated her or not. And so then the room divides into camps, right? Who thinks she was mistreated and who doesn't? And we can go there and we're done having to look at um, or take accountability for what was said that caused you to say what you did. Right. It's, so how does it function? Well, it, it beautifully protects, really, uh, you know, the status quo, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Mm-hmm. Poignant example. That was a very poignant example. You know, I'm glad yeah. you asked that question. I, we've Case and I have talked about that experience on numerous occasions, but never yeah. really looked at it in that context of how that instance serve to protect um white supremacy serve to protect yes. racism serve to protect yeah. um supremacist thoughts you know in, in you know and 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 all of that just by that incident 
and to re-channel re resources yet again away from you and onto white people. Right. 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 It also marshals all the resources in the room because that's social capital. Being comforted is social capital. Why weren't you comforted about the <laughs> egregious, right? Right. Right. No one cares. statement that was made. Right. I, I wasn't in the class. I just I, there was I wasn't present. I'm sure I would have told I would have I would have responded completely differently. I would have been there to comfort you, Jabril. I promise. I promise. <laughs> for the record. Just, just think, for the listeners right? out there. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, and that's the thing. We all want to believe, right? And, and and I think that's to your point, um, Robin, about how um white folks run away from it because it, it it you don't want to be not good people. And if I ever, speaking as a white man, if I ever do something racist, I'm not a good person. And I am a good person, which means I could never do anything racist. What's the number one evidence that people marshal when they get accused? I put quotes around accused because it's uh, the word accusing itself mm. means it's unjust. Right. Somebody gets accused of racism, all their friends come on and say, no, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, I have Therefore, black friends. right, he couldn't be racist. And by that definition, no one's racist. Oh, yeah. They start I mean, I have to say to a room full of people, if you cannot let go of, the, of your definition that a racist is an individual who consciously and awarely doesn't like people based on race and intentionally sets to hurt them, then I will agree with you that none of you are racist. Right. If that's your definition. And I will also agree that it's offensive that I would suggest that you are. Right. But that is not my definition. If you cannot let go of that, we are not moving forward. It's just it's just so beautifully protects racism. Yeah. It, mm. exempts, it exempts basically everybody. Right. It's like I have good intentions, you know, and it's like as I was even referring to people and like, you know, toxic charity, you know, your good intentions don't really matter like i'm not saying your your intentions weren't well thought your intentions weren't good that you were trying to make a good point yes but so because you were offensive with good intentions i'm not supposed to be hurt i think it's actually irrelevant and in in some ways maybe the the good intended person is more dangerous because right. the the person who doesn't have a good intention generally is aware that they don't have a good intention so at least i can work with someone who's who's self-honest right who's self-aware, but the one who's in denial, I, I can't work with, right? Or, you know, it's difficult. And you that, want to get... That to me is, I'm going to make the white man wait for a while. Yeah, that okay, good. All right. Look at me. See, I've been conditioned to take care of <laughs> but, but, but that to me is why so this is so, so Ooh. salient for especially white allies, right? Your work is so important in my mind for white allies because, like you said, Somebody who, hate to sound stereotypical, right? It's going to offend a lot of people, but the stereotypical Trump supporter, right? I know where they're coming from. I, I am not expecting them to be a friend. I am not expecting to trust them in an environment. I am not expecting them to have my best interest at heart. I am, I am not looking to them to appeal my case or to stand with me. I, I see yeah. them coming and I am paying attention. The white ally... I may let my guard down around and that person may inadvertently, not purposefully, but inadvertently stab me in the back. I, I think white progressives are the hardest, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a knife in my, in your back, but you know, 
<laughs> I'm looking right in your eyes. I don't even I actually probably don't even know I put a knife in your back. Right. Not consciously, right. right? Not consciously, but subconsciously, honestly, uh, it's a really thin veneer, a mere scratch, and a lot of resentment erupts even from white progressives. There's just no way I could avoid internalizing resentment and contempt towards black people. Right. I, I, I don't say that with pride. It's just how could I miss that message? Anti-blackness is so deep in the culture and so relentless. Of course, I have it. And it emerges. Re- Are you shocked how fast it emerges? Do you remember all those white Seattle progressives going to hear Bernie Sanders and being asked to just give four minutes of silence? How dare you? you know, how dare you? Ask something of me that you don't deserve, right? right. It's pretty intense. So, so I think we're pieces of work, right? I think we're, it, it makes for a really irrational stew inside of us. You know, we really don't know, but we really do know, but can't admit it, but we feel, you know, superior, but we feel ashamed about it, right? We're just a mess inside there. Um, and all of that functions to kind of keep our positions intact. Yes, you can speak now, Case. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, so much, so much. Um, Robin, one of the things that, that I uh, really appreciate, um, and we haven't had a chance to read the book yet, so I, I, but, but the essays and, 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 and <laughs> I know what I mean. Pre-ordered. Let me say this before I forget. I just got a starred review in Publishers Weekly. Oh, hey. nice. I'm pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty happy about that. That's awesome. Congratulations. So I pre-order. I, I, will, I pre-order. will pre-order it after we're done here. Um <laughs> The, the the you know the the intro and, and the descriptions that you sent and and the way you've written before um, has been really powerful as you've talked about even here to to get away from the good bad dichotomy to get away from from this very fragile you know on off identity piece and you've talked about stamina um, is the word you've used in other places and you've alluded to here right that 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 we white people don't have in this case um, and so it it feels like now that we've got this how does it function kind of almost methodology lens that might yeah. help us see um do you have some suggestions i guess without giving away too much of too many chapters right do, do you have suggestions for how to build that stamina um that's my first question and i'll i'll, I'll say my second question if you better you, so you, better, you better say it now because we might not let you use the mic again you know <laughs> but no well that, that's why i was gonna <laughs> get all in um I'm also aware that that um, you know this has this is real. Your work is very powerful for the individual, Um, and I want to make sure that I at least ask about how institutionally, right? I mean, I can see how the how that functions might have some echoes at the institutional level, Um, and I'm wondering after you you tell me how personally to build up this stamina, we might also address a, a little more systemic piece if if we've got time. Sure. Well, we won't build a stamina if we don't expose ourselves and get out of our comfort zones, right? So Mm -hmm. everything you can attend or participate in or read black Twitter or um, read everything you can get your hands on, go to talks, build relationships, right? You have to get out of your comfort zone and and try to listen way more than you talk, right? Just, Just 
pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, right? Um, and you'll you'll begin to see it's like, oh, this is kind of inevitable. It's not really personal, right? All of that helps you see that, mm. while at the same time trying to build, uh, change the paradigm underneath, right? Try to really let you know. Notice if you do feel defensive. Am I feeling like I just to- got told I was a bad person? Oh, that's the good bad paradigm. Um, writing down your emotions and your reactions, and then when you've kind of worked through them a little bit, going back and asking yourself how they function. You know, I could say don't get defensive, and that's not realistic because it's kind of before you can even think you you have that reaction, right? But um, try to hold it, try to process it, and also something that was really helpful for me is. Let's say um, uh, Jabril gives me feedback on something I've done that that was, was racist, and um, I'm feeling very defensive. And I might I might say, ideally, I would say, I thank you for giving me that feedback. I'm feeling a little flooded right now. I feel a little overwhelmed by it. I I, I want to sit with it, and okay, and then I'll come back. Mm-hmm. I, I think you'd be okay with that. Yeah. And then I could go to I could find 50 white people to go into agreement with me that he's wrong and overreacted and I did nothing racist. So don't go find those people. (laughs) (laughs) They're everywhere. Go find case, go find, and I can certainly name other people, find me and vent, you know, Oh my God, I I, I just feel so stupid and embarrassed and that wasn't fair. And he was really hard. You just get it out, you know, and you can, you could hold that. If I came to you, you could hold it with compassion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then once I got clear, and hey, I might need to cry, but I'll be crying with you, not with him, right? It's yeah. kind of, I often ask, why, why aren't our hearts breaking, for God's sakes, right? right. Mm. But, right. but our tears are powerful, so where and how? And then you and I put our heads together to really map out, okay, so how, how was your racism at play? Um, and to the best of our ability, we, we get clear. And then I go back in and I say, uh, Jabril, I've been thinking, thank you. And, I, and this is this is how I, th- I think that was racist. Mm-hmm. Did, did mm-hmm. I get that right? Mm-hmm. Did I miss anything? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right. Anything yeah. more? Because, of course, Case and I are thinking alone as two white people. We're going to miss some nuances. Um, anything else that needs to be said or heard that we might move forward? You know, I mean, I actually map. I actually follow a series of steps. Before I came back to you, um, I might say, would you be willing to grant me the opportunity to repair the racism I perpetrated to you in that meeting? Mm. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh, and, and I need to be prepared for you to say, no, I'm done with you. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Mm-hmm. With you. That, mm-hmm. that was right. further than I'm willing to go. And if I can't hold that and accept that, I'm not ready for, to apologize to you. Right. That's the risk I take that you right. might give up on me, but it hasn't happened to me yet because just my asking you that question demonstrates humility. Amen. And the, you say yes, I'm willing to grant you that opportunity. Then I say, well, here's you know, here's how I think it played out. I apologize. Did I miss anything? You know, anything else that needs to be said, done, heard? Can we move forward? And um, I was recently on the other side of this class, and I kind of taught that formula. And then I've never been on the other side of it. I've I've just done it, and it's worked. <laughs> uh, I've repaired. But there was a white male that got really aggressive with me as a facilitator. And so I gave him feedback about how that landed. And the next day he came back and he had a little piece of paper and his hand was shaking, but he had notes and he followed the script. But he said, 
you know, can I repair the sexism? I, you know, and, mm. and, and then here's, and he, he read his notes of all the ways he understood that that was sexism. It was so powerful for me wow. and so much different than, um, oh, sorry, because he showed me that he understood that he gained knowledge and it would, right. For, I would imagine, um, Jabril, yeah. if I, that you'd be like, okay, that, that hurt me, but man, that was worth it. If she got that right. out of that. Right. Um, right. Mm. All of that builds our stamina, right? Um, uh, one other piece that I will do if I'm doing a, a white affinity group is I say, I'm going to give you feedback uh, when I need to. And you're, you are not allowed to um, explain yourself in any way. You, you can't talk. You have to hold it. Mm-hmm. Even if I literally misunderstood the word you said. You said bigger, and I thought you said something else. And you're like, you, of course you want to explain to me that you said bigger. Um, right. No, you right. don't get to. Because you have to practice just holding, feeling misunderstood, mm-hmm. explaining yourself. And it just starts to build our our capacity for it. Right. Um, I don't know. That's a lot of stuff. I mean, this is not easy or yeah. something. But yeah. for me, it's just years and years and years of stepping in it, uh, getting feedback, being around people of color, listening to their stories, um, changing my paradigm. All of that builds yeah. our capacity. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a powerful first step um, that I, I like. That the, the how is this functioning almost seems like it creates uh, just enough space that this isn't just personal. Right, that, that, there, that there's a little, you, you open up just enough space that it isn't just personal, that then I can also go back and look at me personally. Um, that's, that's powerful. Wow. Good. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's, a, it's like, it's about me, and it's not about me. I mm-hmm. did that thing, but yep, I'm a product of my society. Everything's fine. It's okay. Like, just, right. you know. <laughs> right. That's the, wow. that's, that, to me, is the big piece that, that, that. I try it's 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 hard for white folks to hear it from me, right? Be, but I try to get folks to understand it's not about an indictment on you being good or bad. The indictment on you being good or bad comes when you abjectly refuse to hear. You know what I mean? That's when it's like exactly. okay, yeah, now I can't I can't vibe with you. I can't fool with you. I'm going to leave you alone. The indictment doesn't come because you stepped on my toes, because you said something offensive, because you did something offensive, because I take for granted that we are inundated by this culture and by this society and that you, until proven otherwise, are a person of goodwill, which means that, which does not mean that you won't offend, but it does mean that when you do offend, you will make amends. You know, that's relationships 101, whatever the relationship yeah. is. We're, you know, because I love my wife doesn't mean I'm never going to piss her off. You know, right. it, it means that when I do piss her off, I'm going to try to find a way to make it right. And not justify mm. myself and not tell her why I, it matters that I didn't mean on hurting her feeling. Like, none of that matters, you know? What, what matters yeah. is that she was hurt. Um, well, and it's a huge moment of risk and trust. I wish white people understood that. They, we tend to uh, construct you as an aggressor for telling us that feedback. Right. But it's hugely vulnerable for you to give me that feedback because there's a history of harm between our groups. And, and, and any listener who saw your response when I said, how often have that has that gone well for you? And you laughed. It rarely goes well. And so you're going to take a chance on me 
with a lifetime of it not going well, you must see something in me that tells you maybe, maybe, maybe this time with this person we can go there. And that's precious. I mean, if you mm. want to use a biblical phrase, you're throwing your pearls. You know, am I going to crush them? Oh, that's you know? so funny, brother. You remember that time I told you about this discussion I had on one of the clergy groups where, I, where, mm-hmm. where, my, where my ultimate response was, I'm going to take back my pearls now. Yeah. Yeah. Because right. and what I meant by that is you have identified that you are swine. So don't cast your pearls before swine. I've been casting pearls. It's time for me to take my pearls back and just keep them mm-hmm. to myself. Well, yeah. and lots of lots of resonance here. Uh you know, I think Robin, you mentioned humility, which is something that, that Jabrell and I have, have really begun to dug more dig more and more out of in this in this work of reconciliation that that for white people and particularly for white Christians, that this is a an underutilized, underexplored, completely ignored aspect of our faith. That humility is a is a necessary precondition for reconciliation. When I live in a system that gives me more power and gives me more privilege than other people, right? I have to I have to step down from this place that society tries to put me in, and that's a place of humility. Um, and that's a really powerful place. And you've identified that as 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 the way one of the ways to, to be in this work. Yeah, you know, I mean, again, simpler said than done, but um, we we won't likely get there without all those other pieces. We're not going to be able to continue to live the lives we were set up to live and think we're going to get there. It does Mm. require something of us, right? We really do have to change and risk and make mistakes and hold and bear witness. I've been thinking about this lately. One of the things it means to be white is I've never had to bear witness to the pain of racism on people of color, and I've never had to bear witness to the pain I've caused people of color. So how do I build my capacity to bear witness? You know, um, and that isn't going to happen outside of relationship, but I'm also not going to build any capacity for compassion, humility, and humanity outside of relationship. And my Mm. life is not set up to put me in relationship with people of color and black people in particular, you know, most of our lives aren't set up that way. And if, if black people are in my life, it's, it tends to be because they came into my orbit. I met you in my workplace. You were in my congregation. Uh I'm not going outside of my comfort zone and going into your places, you know? Um, but those are the things that it requires of us. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that as I, as I was sitting in church the other day in the parish that I attend, like there's a few black people there, but I was just found myself thinking about as I'm raising my teenage black boy and my baby black girl. And I'm like, man, I'm in this white church. It's still a white church. I wonder how many of these white folks would be at a black church. And, 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 and I know the answer, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm, and I sit there wondering, I'm like, how many of them have ever even been to a black church? You know, and like you said, you know, it's, it's, it is like you said that, you know, a lot of the times it's because I've entered into your sphere um, and it is still your sphere. You know, it is. And and honestly, if you if you're in my sphere sphere, you're probably a middle or upper class black person. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be comfortable in that way, too. Like everything about that. You probably grew up with white people. Most mm-hmm. most black people that succeed in white environments grew up often in white environments, right? I shouldn't say most. I just see a pattern there, right? And so they're used to white people. They're comfortable with white people. They're assimilated in particular ways. Right, right. Yeah? Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, 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 I would say I would say additionally the thing that I because I didn't grow up around white people since I grew up in the Virgin Islands, which was like ninety eight percent black. Well, um, then how could you be so comfortable for so many white people? I'm being facetious here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, point you, yeah. you can tell by all his success, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, you know, there, there is a lot of there is a lot of risk involved um, coming into that sphere because you know, at the end of the day, you are in that sphere. I am in that space um, with your blessing, quote unquote. You know, and 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 I can only be in that space so long as you. Uh, allow because the minute I upset you, the minute your fragility reacts, my tenure in that space is on borrowed time. Um, yeah, there, have you seen the film Color of Fear? I have not. No, no, it's no. a very powerful documentary of a group of men of cross different races coming together for an intensive weekend to talk about racism. Hmm. But there's one one scene in particular where a black man named Leonard basically says, "I've walked. I used to work in corporate America, and I'd see black black men walking down the halls, and I'd think, man, I bet he can't wait to go home and be a black man again, because you walk down the halls of corporate America with pride, you're gonna scare people. Oh yeah. You show intelligence, you scare people. You gotta shuffle. You know, you gotta get small as you mm -hmm. move down those halls, mm -hmm. not to scare us." At the same time that I will never admit that you scare me, mm -hmm. and I might not even be conscious that you scare me, and that has nothing to do with the reality that you scare me, right. and that I'm responding to you from that lens, right? right? This is what makes this so so hard, right? It, it, the power mm -hmm. of implicit bias, and that we've been taught that the only thing happening is what I'm aware is happening and what I agree with, right? So I'm against bias, and I, so therefore I'm free of it. You know, right. um, all, anyway, all of this is part of what just makes it off, so often so difficult. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Cases, question about institutions, because, of course, we aren't institutions, but, of course, institutions are made up of people, right? So how do you change policies and practices without changing the consciousness of the people at the tables? So I'll often show a picture of the House Freedom Caucus. Have you seen that famous picture of the House Freedom Caucus, which is probably mm. the most powerful committee in the U.S.? It's about 20 white men around a conference table. Mike Pence is in the middle. <laughs> They're all got suits on, you know, 100% white, male, upper class, conservative politicians working on the health care bill. You know, and I often make a joke. And when this picture right. was taken, they just had gotten to women's reproductive health. Um, <laughs> you can, you love this little piece I do. You can get one, two, five, ten women in that group. Well, we're just doing gender right now. Right. If you haven't changed the consciousness of the men at the table, they're gonna, they might survive in that group. They won't thrive in that group. They're mm -hmm. not going to be truly heard or seen in that group and yet that's the embodiment of institutional power that's why i show the picture mm. it's like this is the physical embodiment of institutional power and if you don't change their consciousness it doesn't matter who you stick at that table with them right so to change institutions you got to change the people in the institutions right. so that they right. will change policies and practices right 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 yeah that's like that's like diocese <laughs> in the church um, so many dioceses in the church that talk about um, racial reconciliation and how important it is to them, but none of the diocesan staff is black. And if there are any people of color on staff, they're the receptionists 
um, or the secretary and no one with any sort of decision-making authority. But we're supposed to trust that you're really serious about reconciliation. Well, and that's another point I make is uh, then I, I kind of go further and say, well, now imagine that one of them says maybe we should get a woman in here. <laughs> uh, and of course, they don't all agree. But so what they're really doing in this picture is strategizing on how to get more women in their group. And I just pause, right? It's a 100% males sitting around trying to figure out how to get more women. And that's what we do, right? All the white people at the table going, gosh, we got to get some more people of color in here. Mm -hmm. But they're not talking to people of color. They're not going out and asking the receptionist. Right. But of course, if they did ask the receptionist, how intimidating would that be? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's yeah. just so many layers here that we have. We're and then about. how does the fragility respond? Because I often say when we when when white folks go out looking for black people to come along to the table or for people of color to come to the table, they're looking for a particular type of person of color that doesn't upset white power. You know, well, I always and say, right, usually they that you person. On every, they put you on every committee right? because we got to get some diversity. They don't pay you anymore. Right. Right, exactly. Uh, but I will often say, if you want to stop getting asked to be on every committee as the token diversity, just bring up racism on the committee. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That, yeah. that pretty much be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that's just pretty much it. actually tell them what they said they wanted you there to tell them, and then that's pretty much going to be the end of it. And you'll be a problem. Oh, yeah. Case in point, you know. <laughs> So, so I could do this all day, right? And uh, I, am, I, I am by no means cutting us short, but I know that you have time, right? And I don't know what your time is like. So I want to make sure that I get this question in just in case we, we're coming close on time. Um, because we've talked a lot, right? And we've covered a lot of ground, a lot of rich conversation, all of which comes out of your upcoming book, White Fragility. Um, release date is in June. June, June 26th? 26th. Right. But I, it, yes, and you can pre-order now. And, you, a can, little bit. and you can pre-order. We're going to put a link to that in the, in the show <laughs> notes so that you can pre-order. But um, we've all of these concepts come out of the book. Everything that we're talking about comes out of the book. You can find it in the book when you read the book. But Robin, to the listener out there who's been enjoying all of this as, we, as we're coming up on the hour mark uh, of conversation, what would you say is the single most important takeaway you want people to gain from reading White Fragility? That you cannot get where we need to go if you can't let go of your definition of a racist. Uh, I, I think it's the root of virtually all white defensiveness, and I think it functions to make it virtually impossible to talk to us about what we inevitably absorb. And as long as you've reduced a racist to an individual who consciously and intentionally seeks to harm people based on race, you will protect and uphold racism. You will respond with fragility, with upset, with offense. Uh, you, You have to understand it's a system, it's the system we're in, and nothing could have or did exempt you from its forces. And it's on you to figure out how you were shaped by those forces, not that you weren't shaped by those forces. And if you want to be a unique and special individual, then use every aspect that you see about yourself that makes you different from any other person and then figure out how all those aspects set you up to collude with racism because it's the water you're in. 
all of it set you up. I just I can't repeat that enough. Nothing could and nothing did exempt you from the forces of racism. Please try to figure out how they those forces manifest in your daily life. Uh, because our outcomes aren't changing. And I don't think they're going to change until we change what we even think racism is. Hmm. Oh, that's amazing. That's, yeah, that's, that's very powerful, brother. <laughs> brother, what's your, what's, what's, what's your, what's your thoughts, man? Um, I, I'm, right now, I'm just I'm wondering if, if, if and as people are watching this video, right? Like, like they're watching you laughing and smiling and, and Robin, you know, gesticulating. <laughs> and I, and I, I can't, I'm trying to focus on the camera, so I can't see my own little picture off the end. And I'm pretty sure that they're seeing something like, Oh, shit. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I want to, I want to claim that and be okay with myself for you know all of this just washing over really powerfully, really powerfully. I for all the the preachers out there who who do listen to our podcast and and see this video. I mean, oh my gosh! If if we can't if if we can't recognize how um, you know humility. And and bearing witness and and you know not being afraid. I mean, all of these things have such rich echoes that that I think, in my own bias, in my own perspective, bear so powerfully on on the Christian faith that that we are equipped to go forward into these things, and we've been failing miserably at it as a church, right? As a white church, I don't preach about humility. What are you talking about, right? And yet, <laughs> it is so countercultural. <laughs> this opens up. Um, in incredibly powerful ways, and so uh, for those of you watching the video, yes, I mean that, that I, I, I'm trying to, to laugh and, and and be along, and I'm also getting I'm getting smacked just like you are about just how powerful um, and meaningful and deep and how much just the 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 real the echoes and the and the the consequences of this work could be in all facets. It's it's powerful. So thank you very much, Robin, yeah. for, for coming on. You're so welcome. I, I, let me speak to that just a little bit. I mean, yeah. but you are modeling, like you're listening more than talking, right? You're not yeah, budding, rebuttaling, like you're asking sincere questions for, to, you're, there's a curiosity there that is a, a grappling to understand. Um, that, I think that's really important modeling. And um, there's a question I often offer, like when I get to the end of a workshop and you go around and people will say, you know, what's one step you're going to make? And they'll say, um, I'm going to keep reflecting on this, right? Because that, that we do need to reflect and bear witness. And then my question is, well, how will people of color know you've reflected? Yeah. Are they How will you reflecting say, function? Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we can't we can't wait until we're finished. You know, we feel we're have arrived before we act. Right. Um, and and the reflection is a part of it, but if it doesn't translate into action, it's functionally meaningless. If you get better at recognizing racism, but don't even, don't actually act to intervene with it, then then it's meaningless. <sighs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some people Ooh. will say, mm. "Oh, I, 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 I don't need that workshop. I read your book." And I will just say, "How will people of color know you've read my book? Like, right. what's different?" Right. So, yeah. um, that's what I what I want to offer the listeners is: yes, bear witness; yes, hold; yes, reflect. But it, it's got to lead to different kinds of action. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's Deeper the number engagement. one question I get when I when I finish a talk is, "Okay, okay, what do I do? What do I do?" And here, that question bothers me. And you'll know <laughs> yeah. why when I oh, yeah. offer. 
So the first thing I say is I'm going to offer you a question back. If, if that's your question right now at the end of this talk, what do I do? Then my question for you is, what has allowed you to be a full functioning, educated adult in leadership and not know what to do about racism? Mm. Why Ooh. in 2018, why 2018 <laughs> is that your question? Right, right. Oh, I love that question. Ask, right. <laughs> how have you managed not to know? Right. And and it's a challenge back because I find it a disingenuous question. I find it a problematic one. Just give me the answer. But it's also sincere. Take out a piece of paper and start writing down how you have managed not to know. Uh, and maybe the first thing on your list is going to be I wasn't educated. Okay, good. There you go. Educated. Um, the right. second thing is going to be I talk about race. Third thing is I don't know people of color. Fourth thing, I haven't cared enough to find out. And if you can write that down and look at it and live with it, you know, God bless you. But I can't. Right. So, <clears throat> so probably the very first thing you can do is to break with the apathy of whiteness, take the initiative and find out there's a million things out there you know google it just like you would if you <laughs> were interested in anything else right right so so reflection bearing witness humility and action yeah and I, and I, and i like to say as the person who has more often than not been identified as the angry black man right i always like to say um find an angry black man to be in relationship with there you go um don't and Don't just find the black person that's going to make you feel comfortable, but find yep. a black person that is willing to be in relationship with you that is going to make you uncomfortable and then sit with that. Yeah. Because um, that, that says that I, when you talk about getting out of your comfort zone, that says, yes, I am, I am making sure that I stay outside my comfort zone by being in relationship with somebody who, by their nature, is always going to put me outside of my comfort zone. We will not get where we need to go from a place of white comfort. That's for dang sure, right? <laughs> I'm comfortable virtually 24-7, right? Uh, uh, white comfort equals racial status quo equals white supremacy because right. that's the racial status quo, right? So, right. yeah. Exactly. Thank exactly. you, guys. Amen, amen. Thank you. Thank Love you for, for sharing you. With, with, with our listeners or for sharing with us, you know, one of yeah. the joys of doing this show um, and from having you on is that – in, in under the guise of educating our listeners, uh, we get to have <laughs> yeah. we get to have some transformative experiences for ourselves. Um, and so I, I'd like to reiterate what no well maybe we'll make the white man here have the last word like the white man at the Lutheran convention <laughs> had the last <laughs> and give well, thanks. He, <laughs> yeah, he thank summed it up good. Thank God. Yes. Thank God for Robin and Jabrell. Thank <laughs> the Lord. Amen. Seriously. This is, this is, this is. Oh, yeah. So, so y'all be sure, be sure to pre-order. Click the link that we're going to post. Pre-order a copy of White Fragility. Um, drive those pre-order numbers up because I know how important that is. And then that, <laughs> that way she can debut a, a, as, a, as a bestseller. Um, yeah. <laughs> That would be cool. Here's my dream. I because I'm at the airport every week. I want to walk by Hudson News at the airport and see that book. There. Right, That's my little dream. right, right, exactly. Don't <laughs> I, we I all? Hold my you know, breath. Wouldn't it be cool? It would be awesome, <laughs> right? Yeah. You'd be like, "That's my book." <laughs> I'd be sitting next to someone on an airplane and be like, "Would you like me to sign that for you?" All right. <laughs> there it is. There it is. 
Mm. Uh, but wonderful to spend some time with you, Robin. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you guys. The Lord you. bless you uh, as you continue this work. And I know we'll, we'll, we'll continue to be bonded together, sister. All right. You take care. Bye. Take Man. care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Racial Heresy. Be sure to visit our website, racialheresy.com, to post your questions, comments, and feedback, and to share your own stories of life as a racial heretic. Want to hear more? You can find past episodes of Racial Heresy on iTunes and the Racial Heresy website. Want to hear even more? Invite Racial Heresy to speak at your conference, council, church, training, or event. Email us at ebonyandivory at racialheresy.com or visit our website for information on speaking engagements.